0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I'm going to just get right into it. Last night, or not last night, yesterday, I'm sure we all know some huge shit went down. And I'm not talking about the president of the United States being impeached for a second time. I'm talking about James Harden being traded to my Brooklyn Nets, right? I was kind of just astonished i was I was astounded flabbergasted all of these superlatives to just describe my immense confusion of everything right the news came in the afternoon sometime I'm guessing around three o'clock um right around that time two three o'clock or something, and I was just getting out of the shower I was sitting i had my the towel on my head drying my hair and I forgot if it was Wojosh Shams, but one of them tweets that, you know, James Harden has been traded to the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm just like,
1: <laughs>
0: I had no idea how to react. My first instinct
1: was just to be like, this is just awful. I remember I um I was talking to, I
0: think it was on Twitter, actually. Uh, I think it was Sham's tweet talking about um, a potential trade happening. I forgot who it was. It's on my feed. I'm just, I don't really, I don't really care to look for it right now. But I, I basically said that I would have a stroke if the Nets went and traded for James Harden. And, you know, the news starts coming out that Houston is working to facilitate some type of deal and both the Nets and the Sixers were there um, or were Harden's number one. Destinations, right? The Sixers, of course, presented a package constructed around Ben Simmons, um, trying to include either someone like Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Thybulle, somebody like that. And the Nets were from the from from the jump off the rip. They were like, "We will give you whatever you want for James Harden," and that was precisely what I was afraid of going into this season. I always felt that this was going to be kind of just like a tune up year to assess where the team is at, uh, look at what everybody looks like alongside KD and Kyrie, and kind of just take it from there, make a trade either a little bit later in the season or even next season, and really just like, or over the offseason, I mean, and gear up to make a title run next season. Obviously, things are getting a little funky right now. The team um, is, a little, is a little inconsistent. Of course, Spencer Dinwiddie is hurt. Kyrie Irving is off dealing with some personal matters. And I don't know if that played into the team's decision to make this trade. Um, It could be. All I know is that regardless of what's going on with Kyrie, the Nets were looking to get another guy, right? I felt that before Drew Holiday landed in Milwaukee, he would be a good guy for the Nets to bring in because... He wouldn't cost that much, at least relative to somebody like James Harden, and I'll get into the full details of the trade in a second, but he'd also kind of just fit better, All right, Drew Holiday being a good shot creator, not only for himself, but for everybody else. And more more than that, being quite arguably the best defensive point guard in the NBA. I mean, there's no denying it. If he's not the best, he's right up there. Obviously, that didn't happen. The Bucks swooped in super fast to scoop up Holiday from uh, New Orleans, and they sent a decent amount down there. I believe it was uh, Eric Bledsoe, um, a couple of picks. Pelic, The Pelicans also wound up with Steven Adams. Somehow, that was quite the move, but knowing that you're trying to get somebody like James Harden, and this is going to be like the same for if you were trying to get somebody like Bradley Beal as well, they're going to require a lot like especially James Harden James Harden is one of the most talented shot creators that the NBA has ever seen I'm just gonna pull up his stats real quick and like we know the numbers but like this dude is a former MVP a guy who can pretty much get 30 and 10 at will almost I mean just absolutely fantastic like I'm not here to talk about James Harden's talent. Like we know the talent is there. I mean, I will get to it in a little bit just because it will be pertinent to the situation at some point, but we all know James James Harden can ball. But my question is can he ball within the Nets organization? And before we get into that, we have to kind of figure out
1: how we wound up here, right? Harden joins Houston in what year was it? In
0: 2012, leaves OKC, doesn't want to be the sixth man anymore. And off the jump, this guy comes in, 23 years old, averages 26 and 6. I mean, Harden, that was when James Harden became James Harden, right? Or he became the beard, I guess you could say. Or James, or just like, that's when he began to morph into his own entity. Like, his own superstar. Shit got real, when the team hired Mike D'Antoni in 2016, right? So before that, Kevin McHale was the coach. At least I think it was Kevin McHale. It was Kevin McHale. Um, and then JB Bickerstaff took over at the end of the 2015 uh, 16 season, or like 11 games in, I should say. And throughout all that time, James Harden is just putting up numbers. He was consistently averaging more than 25 points, right? 25, 26, 28, 29, all star. Like, pretty much a first-team All-NBA lock every season. So Mike D'Antoni comes, and the whole offensive philosophy changes. It's it's going to be the James Harden show. He's going to have the ball in his hands pretty much every possession, and he's going to be responsible for everything that the team does offensively. His first year with Mike D'Antoni, 29 points, 11.2 assists, 8 rebounds. Um, Should have won the MVP that season. Unfortunately, I believe that was the year he lost to... Um, Russell Westbrook who averaged the triple double
1: I'm just going to fact check that real quick. Oh. Yeah, that was the year he finished second to Russ.
0: The subsequent year he comes back, wins his first MVP, and then he's finished as a finalist in each of the last two seasons, right? What's weird about the Rockets though is this 2016-17 team and I Talk about not this team, actually. This is the following team. My bad. I talk about this team a lot because in 2017 18, the Rockets were 65 and 17, finished first in the Western Conference, looked like the team to beat. That's just they looked incredible, they looked like a championship caliber team. Qualified for the playoffs behind James Harden's incredible season. I think he averaged like 30 and 8. Something like that. Yeah, 30-9, and nine, actually. Pardon me. Shooting 45% from the field for a guy taking 20 shots a night. Incredible. Of course, he's getting to the line super frequently. Banging home a lot of threes. Like, it was fantastic. So they go to the playoffs. They breeze through the Timberwolves and the Jazz winning eight of their 10 games. And they get to the, they get to the Warriors. And the Warriors beat them in seven. I believe the Warriors also came back from a 3-1 deficit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Golden State was the first game. Houston wins games 2, 3, and 4.
1: Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Through five games, they were 3 and 2. Yeah, 3 and 2. They just couldn't close it out. Some of this
0: is James Harden's fault, but really the team as a whole. But regardless, this was the best iteration of the Houston Rockets because there was James Harden, there was Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, um, Trevor Ariza, Gerald Green, Luque Mbamute. The team, just top to bottom, was
1: so complete.
0: They were so much fun to watch. And they just, they operated with such proficiency. They had outstanding chemistry. And I think their on-court play was so spectacular. Not only because of their offense, but let me adjust the chair here. Not only offensively, but this was in elite defense too. Now the chair's a little too high. This is excellent. Like that's why they were winning basketball games because their defense was going out and locking people down. Sixth in efficiency, sixth in overall points allowed. And they did that with the 13th fastest pace. So they were a little bit quicker than the average, but like both of these numbers being in the top 10, it just shows the talent that they had on that floor at pretty much every time or pretty much at all times. And, a lot of this is Chris Paul. Clint Capella is a fantastic rim protector. Trevor Reese on the perimeter. Same thing with um, Luke Mbamute, PJ Tucker as well. He was instrumental to a lot of the defensive goings, goings on. But even James Harden, like, people like to criticize this guy, but James Harden gets a lot of steals. He's very disruptive when he wants to be. He might not be the best perimeter defender, but he's a tall boy and he's thick, and he can hold his own down in the post. He isn't. He is... It, he is a very good post-defender. I'll say that much. But from this point, the team just started to nosedive. You know, ownership changes. Team gets a little cheaper. They start trading people away. Um, They pretty much abandoned what made them successful after one season, which is quite um odd. And you can see it, like, just statistically, defensively. They went from sixth in both... Um, volume and efficiency to 10th and 17th respectively there was no Trevor Ariza I believe no Trevor Ariza Um, PJ Tucker was still there though this was before the Clint Capella trade and before um, they pretty much abandoned all uh, big men for whatever reason but this team kind of took a nosedive and they won 12 fewer games finishing at 53-19 and last season 2019-20 had a pretty solid campaign considering the drastic
1: change but the one constant and why Houston has continued to be so good is because of James Harden. Every year, James Harden goes out and puts up MVP caliber
0: numbers is consistently arguably the best player in the league, top 5 every year. Again, quite possibly the Best, most dynamic playmaker the league has ever seen, just in terms of scoring, passing, doing everything. And I believe that he was simply fed up with it. Well, I don't believe. I know, actually. I know that James Harden was fed up with it. And it started a couple seasons ago, but his disdain, I believe, really grew to new heights after the team just failed to. They they just failed to reach that level that they once hit a couple of years prior, and it's really no fault of his own because Harden is, only, Harden has only gotten better over these last couple of seasons, and the team has not improved with him, which is weird. Both in terms of wins, in terms of advancement in the playoffs, like when you look at LeBron, right? LeBron may not necessarily get better every year; he gets better in different facets, but that's kind of that's kind of um. A d- that's a different conversation for a different day but the teams that he's on are always in the finals right he's always bringing this team to a height that he's used to and a lot of that is him a lot of it is him actually and I feel like now this is actually kind of a bad example because LeBron is really the only player in their history of the league to be able to do so much with so little but Harden does have that potential kind of the team has to be a little stronger around him but like, when you have a guy who is averaging upwards of 30 points every season, and you're not able to do anything about it, I mean, he's going to get frustrated. And of course, we can point to his struggles in the playoffs. Harden, admittedly, well, not, he's not admitting it, but I am because I'm just looking at the numbers. He has not been the best in the postseason, right? He's very inconsistent when the playoffs roll around. Last season was, I think, statistically, it might have been his best performance. Let me just... Look this up real fast. Just in terms of like, you know, volume and efficiency. So Harden is routinely putting up points in the playoffs. And a lot of it is just because he gets to the line so frequently. Like last season, about 30. The year before that, 31. 26 and a half. Or 28 and a half. 28 and a half. 26 and a half. 27. The one constant though, at least in those couple of years, but the years before last year really, is that Harden is routinely shooting about 41% from the floor. In the postseason last year, it rocketed all the way up to 48, which was incredible. Actually, just knowing again, he has a long history of not performing in those
1: circumstances. And I think that knowing how people are going to view him, right? He
0: wants to go out and win a title so badly because at this rate, he's going to go down as the best player never to win a title. I think that he's going to beat out guys like Charles Barkley. Carl Malone. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other people, but I I cannot. Yeah, he's definitely gonna beat out guys like Chuck and Carl because he's just like he's on a different level compared to all these guys. I mean, his talent isn't the issue that I have. But before we get into that, a couple of nights ago, um, Harden basically said that um he was fucking he like he's like there's nothing else I can do. I gotta try and find it because the quote is just amazing. Actually, a couple nights ago, I forgot who they were playing. Maybe it'll um maybe it'll tell me. So this is January thirteenth, a couple nights ago. James Harden <laughs> says in his post game interview, "I love this city. This city. I've literally done everything I can. The situation is crazy. And I'm I don't think this can be fixed. Thanks." But I mean, listen. It's not the most politically correct thing to say and it's not something that you want your star player to say, but everybody knows that by this point Houston or Houston and Harden their relationship is it's pretty much eroded into nothing. He's fed up and what kind of stinks is that he's reached this level where he's able to say kind of whatever he wants. That's what happens when certain players kind of transcend the sport. I mean, I was talking to a couple of my buddies last night about Kyrie, ironically enough, and he brought up this one time how Kyrie had a quote when he was in Boston. He shot like six to twenty two and it's like it doesn't matter. I'm still the best player on the team. Like, yes, you shouldn't say that, but you're not necessarily wrong. I kind I agree with Harden, although I wouldn't have aired this out to the media, but like if I were to go in and talk to the GM and the owner, I'd be like, guys, like there's nothing, there's nothing we can do like he no one has tried to fix anything in the last couple of years and I, I simply want out especially knowing that you know he's coming up on 30 he might be able to play for another six seven eight years just because of oh no he is 30 he's 31 yeah he'll be 32 in August so he might be able to play for you know five more years or so just because of his style but he won't be remembered as fondly I think if he doesn't win a title and as much as athletes say you know they don't care about what people think of them how we view their legacy i think they do a little bit and they also just kind of want to go out and win a title for themselves because it's like the pinnacle of their occupation like you just did something that no other team has done for that season i mean it's a huge honor for so many players for everybody anyone who's involved it's a tremendous honor because it's so just it's so difficult to win a title in any league because you got to be talented you got to the, like all the intangibles, like the stuff that happens on the court, what happens off the court, like it's and you need you need to be lucky too. Like sometimes the Rockets just simply have not gotten lucky, and this um plays into the Nets. Uh, this plays into the Nets' hands because they don't know how much time they have. Kyrie and KD are on relatively short deals; they don't have that much time. Like they're not young guys who are ex- gonna you know potentially be there for a while the title window is close, or it's closing, pardon me, and everything that's going on with Kyrie, maybe they realize that it could fall apart sooner than later, I mean, even before Kyrie took this whole mental health thing, Kyrie has been plagued with injuries throughout his career, like, you really don't know when Kyrie was going to be on the court, and you're kind of just hoping that, pardon me, you're kind of just hoping that he's ready for the postseason. I do expect Kyrie to come back at some point. Um, he's been in contact with people from the team. The team knows why he's not with them right now, and they're kind of just giving him his space. Sean Marks released a statement like, Hey, when Kyrie if Kyrie wants to adjust the situation, that's on him. And Steve Nash has been very diplomatic about it as well. You know, it's not really his business to air out anybody's dirty laundry. And I talked about this on the last episode. It's not really any of our businesses to speculate about it. But The Nets trade for James Harden and it's giving us shades of Billy King for any of us Nets fans who have the unfortunate memory of what happened in 2012, 2013-ish. Billy King pretty much mortgaged the Nets future for the husks of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. This was not prime Kevin Garnett. This was not MVP caliber Kevin Garnett. This was not Paul Pierce playing at an all-star level, these were old men in terms of athlete years. They were like geriatric athletes, like end of the road. And they traded, Billy King traded away pretty much everybody. Like picks that turned into Damian Lillard and Draymond Green. And there were a bunch of swabs, a bunch of outright giveaways, horrible situation. And we, everyone knew that that was not going to work, especially with LeBron being in the East at the time simply simply not happening it it was a fucking terrific trade and this does not quite compare to it it does yes and no because the nets gave up a lot so this is the full trade it was a four-team trade involving the houston rockets the brooklyn nets the indiana pacers and the cleveland cavaliers houston gets victor oladipo dante exum Rodeons, kuruks um I wrote three Nets first rounders, but I think that it's actually four. Uh, They get another first from Milwaukee. Oh, maybe it's the four altogether. Okay, so they got four first rounders altogether, and they also got four swaps from the Nets. So the Nets gave up a draft pick in every season until 2027. 21, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Fantastic. Just absolutely amazing trading away your whole entire future for... Of course, James Harden, and that's where it comes in. Like everyone was expecting just a package that would seemed like too much for James Harden because it's James Harden. Again, we're talking about an MVP caliber player. Like this is really the going rate for someone of James Harden's caliber. The Pacers got Karis LeVert and a second rounder from uh, somebody I forgot who. And then the Cavaliers got Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince. Um, the Cavaliers, I think, pretty much they gave up. What was it just Dante Exum for Jarrett Allen? That's kind of a sick deal. And the Pacers got Karis Levert. I love Karis Levert. I'm very sad to see him go, but I'm happy to see him potentially thrive in Indiana alongside uh, Demontis Sabonis. But folks were mad about this trade for other reasons. Um,
1: mainly because sean marks and the team was they were always talking about culture and i'm kind of torn on that subject because yes it's shitty of him to praise
0: and talk about culture and you know homegrown talent stuff like that and then trade them all away but there was like that ship has kind of sailed when you signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you knew that you had to win right now and you had to do everything in your power to make the team as good as possible
1: right now. The culture shit, that for me, like, it's kind of over with at this point. Like the culture is established. Like, it, but the, the culture, the whole cultural aspect It's
0: like culture doesn't really matter for contenders. What matters is one team chemistry and talent. The Nets have team chemistry, or they're hoping to have some team chemistry. They definitely have talent. They just had to work on the chemistry. The culture is more so for when the team is up and coming and building a nice foundation. The foundation was laid. Kenny Atkinson laid the foundation with young Jared Allen, young Karis Levert, Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell. The foundation and the culture is what attracted. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now that they're there, they don't give a fuck about culture. The only C word they care is championship. That's what they want. That's why they came to Brooklyn. They saw that as the best place for them to win a championship. It sucks having to trade away these young players, but it's a business. And that is the unfortunate reality of it. Do I agree with the move? I do not. However, I see why they did it, and now we have, we're going to actually talk about the, um, the basketball aspect of it, and really the real reason. We're 25 minutes and I haven't really <laughs> even talked about the trade yet. So I think I'm very pessimistic about this trade because on paper, yes, the Nets have this fantastic team. Their starting lineup projects to have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Joe Harris, and maybe... DeAndre Jordan I saw an ESPN graphic that had Jeff Green playing the five um why I don't don't fucking know but either way at any given time or at the end of games you're gonna have three of the most talented NBA players in the history of the league on the court together that is like why this move is so uh
1: I guess bittersweet would be the um the most appropriate way to describe it All right, and sorry about that, but
0: yeah, again, I'm just like, I'm very bittersweet about all this because in order for this team to work, a lot has to happen. I think what has really um, played into James Harden more so than the league, the, not the league, the, um, the Rock is just failing to improve, is he has been in this this extreme... This extreme role that really nobody else in the history of the NBA has ever dealt with. This guy was his team's entire offense since Mike D'Antoni came over and really instituted this revolutionary idea. James Harden is first in minutes, field goal attempts, free throw attempts, and has had the highest usage rating among players with 5,000 plus minutes at 36.8. I believe Russell Westbrook was a second close at 35.2, but That is heavily inflated during his time with the Thunder, where he was doing a lot of everything out of necessity. Like James Harden didn't have to be this extreme, the extreme focal point of the offense, where it's pretty much just Harden isolation, Harden pick and roll, Harden isolation, and your only buckets are coming like directly from James Harden or off of a James Harden pass. It didn't have to be that way, but that was what Mike D'Antoni wanted to run, and James Harden obliged honestly because I think. He knew that he'd be able to do it and he was talented enough to be able to do it. But it seems that maybe he's ready to take a step back, especially because this guy has been pretty durable throughout his career. Like I'm looking back on it. He played 68 games last season, 78 the year before, 72, 81, 82, 81. Like this guy's put a lot of time in. I mean, he's played 10,000 plus minutes in what is it? Four seasons. One, two, three, four. Yeah, four seasons. That's. That's a lot, dude. Uh, only, I think only Bradley Beal and CJ McCollum might have been close to him. Uh, but then you got to factor in playoff minutes. And it's just like, all I'm saying is that the minutes hit different when you are quite actually facilitating more than a third of your team's plays. Like every 100 plays, James Harden is involved in about 37 of them, which is an astronomical amount. And, you know, Going to a place like Brooklyn or a place like Philly, that wouldn't have to be the case. You know, Philly has Joel Embiid, so Harden and him would be able to trade off. There's also Tobias Harris who can get involved a little bit. And of course, with Brooklyn, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are the two babies of this team, right? We love KD, we love Kyrie. They make the offense go. My fear is that what's going to happen is the offense will kind of just divulge or devolve. Part of me into Kevin, Kyrie, and James just alternating who's taking shots every time down. And that's what that is quite actually the last possible thing I want because the Nets' offense over the last couple of years has always been ball movement, player movement, look for the best possible shot. If the three is there, take it. If not, try to get into the paint. And that system has worked with lesser talented players. And now they bring in these fucking titans, these icons of the sport. And it could all change, but there's the chance that it doesn't. And I haven't like thought of an actual game plan, but I do know this. James Harden is a fantastic playmaker, an excellent floor general, and he can create for everybody else just as well as he creates for himself. Kyrie Irving is not really that. When I watch Kyrie Irving play, I see... An undersized shooting guard and not really, a, not really a point guard. Kyrie does hand out a lot of assists, but like his primary goal is to score, and that's a lot of just you know being in this new generation of point guard where you're kind of just doing what you doing what you see fit. Like you're gonna take the open shot if it's there, if the pass is there, you're gonna dish it. Um, James Harden, he just like. I, I see James Harden play and he looks like he, he plays like he's an actual point guard who can then go out and drop 35 on you. It's this it's this incredible balancing act that he does. And in order for this team to operate as high as proficiency, proficiency pardon me, I think that James Harden is going to have total control of the offense, but he might also be willing to kind of just like take a step back. Every now and then. Because he's been so in your face. He's been the number one guy for so long. And he's never really had, like, legitimate help. No disrespect to Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook, but... These guys are... They're not the guys that they used to be. He has never... Well, I mean, he has played with... He has actually played with a guy like Kevin Durant. Yes, but...
1: Like... I just... I don't know, dude. It's just, it's going to be so different. And I'm
0: hoping that there is still just like a shade of what made this Nets team great in terms of playmaking. And I think it's possible. I'm just really quick going to read off the current roster. So the Nets are working with Kyrie, Chris Gioza, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit, Spencer Dinwiddie, who is currently hurt, Tyler Johnson, and now James Harden. In the forward slot, we got Joe Harris. Timothy Lualu Cabarro, Reggie Perry, Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, and then at the center position, the weakest position by far, DeAndre Jordan and Nick Claxton. So, how do you make the most of this of this roster? Well, it's gonna be very guard heavy, clearly, because you got Kyrie, you got Harden, you got Spencer Dinwiddie, who is gonna come back healthy at some point. Um, you got Bruce Brown, who, if you're not watching Bruce Brown, bro, this guy is really balling. He's he's looking pretty good. I was watching him last night against the Knicks and this guy like just gets into the paint and he's got this weird floater that I don't know how many hours he spent perfecting this, but I don't think he missed the floater last night. I mean, he's money once he gets inside like 12 feet. So he also just plays with a lot of energy and that's kind of what the Nets need. The Nets need guys who play like they're fighting for their spot in the rotation because Bruce Brown kind of is. I mean, Steve Nash doesn't really know who he can rely on just yet, and if you throw Bruce Brown in there, that's an extra guy. That really that really helps, you know, alleviate some of their problems. I mean, Larry Shamet, I talked about him on Wednesday. Hasn't been that impressive so far, but again, has the potential to be, you know, somebody who just is invaluable to the team almost as a floor spacer. We know what Spencer is going to do when he comes back. Um, I don't know how much time Chris Gioza is going to get especially when Spencer Dinwiddie comes back potentially for the playoffs or whatever. Um, Joe Harris solidified in the rotation. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. TLC, like TLC is, he's so fucking strange. Like, uh, he's got so many high highs and so many low lows that it's, it's tough to get a read on him. But maybe there's a way that he looks good. Uh, Reggie Perry is another guy. Got some minutes against the Knicks on Wednesday. You know, someone who Steve Nash could potentially look towards going forward, especially because the Nets, like, they need as many forwards as possible. Jeff Green, don't really know what his spot in the rotation is going to look like. And then DeAndre Jordan and Nick Claxton. How, like, the center position is just so fucking weak, bro. And it stinks because
1: uh, Jared Allen was the best center option by far, and now he's gone. It sucks, bro. It fucking sucks. Um, like, n-
0: no disrespect to Giance Jordan, but the dude is just, like, not productive outside of being a rebounder. And I get that unique guys to grab boards, but he's not a good defender. Uh, really doesn't do much offensively. Not like he ever did much offensively, but, I mean, he's good for a couple of lobs every now and then. Um, I think Nick Claxton is really the wild card here. He's been hurt for a while. Steve Nash said that he was going to miss a couple of weeks with um tendonopathy of some sort. That was that was like a month ago, six weeks ago or something. Still not back. Um, the team still has holes. Even with James Harden, the team still has holes. And what really perturbs me about Harden is I don't know what the defense is going to look like because the defense wasn't good to begin with. The Nets don't have a lot of Good defensive players, like wing de- wing defenders, is what they need more than anything else. And now that Jared Allison gone, the defense is like they could seemingly give up 135 points every night. And that does not, I, I do not feel confident in that kind of defense because to outscore that
1: is just, it's so difficult and it's so taxing. And what the fuck just happened? Did I run out of space? Did the video die? Let's figure this out real quick. On air. Fuck it. What happened here? I think I ran out of video space. What? Storage. Yep. That's exactly what happened. I ran out of storage. Eh, whatever.
0: Shit happens. Uh, Where was I? Oh, yeah. I was talking about the failed ex- the potentially fucking nuclear- Failure that the Nets might get into. But uh, what specifically? The defense? Oh, yeah. The defense is just like,
1: bro, it's going to be so mid. I'm not excited for it at all. It's just.
0: But everyone always counters it with the offense is going to be so amazing. And I hope the offense is amazing. But the offense isn't just going to be amazing because. You know, James Harden is there and Kyrie is there and Kevin Durant is there. If we take the Warriors, for example, which is the one team in recent memory that had a roster as star heavy as this Nets roster, that roster worked, yes, because there was Steph and because there was Kevin and because there was Clay and because there was Draymond, but there was a system in place there and it worked. And it worked because the guys knew how to make it work. Yes, when you needed a bucket, You could go to Kevin, you could go to Steph and be like, all right, bro, just put the ball in the basket. Right now, with the Nets, there is no system because they were trying to figure out what the system would be with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You cannot have any of these guys go out and just play isolation and pick and roll basketball all the time. I don't give a fuck how good Kevin Durant looks right now because he looks fantastic, but this guy is still in... Older gentleman coming off an Achilles injury. Not, n- not ideal. Kyrie, same thing. Subject to injuries in the past. He could come back from his little absence and get hurt and miss a little bit more time. I pray, I hope and pray that that is not the case. But I'm not going to act like it isn't a possibility. James Harden, although I praise his durability um, at the beginning of the show, like he's just, he's coming from a situation where that was literally all he did for four years. I don't think he wants to go to a new situation that he willingly wanted to come to and play the same basketball. Or maybe he does. But I really hope that is not the case. I hope that Steve Nash and Jacques Vaughn figure out a legit scheme that maximizes these guys with as little, I don't want to say as little effort. I do. Well, yeah. Ideally, you want them to be as efficient as possible with the lowest amount of effort, if that makes any sense. You want them to give effort on the floor, but you don't want them to overexert themselves and guess themselves out because that could very much happen. Because again, the roster, not that great. And I'm like, I will not be sold on this team until they go out and they win a championship. Like, I'm very pessimistic. I'm very pessimistic about all of this. And I think it's just because of, me being a fan, like, I think this was kind of a rash decision on Sean Marks' part, and I'm not trying to to crucify this guy because he did do a lot of good for this team, did a bunch of bad trades in the beginning of his tenure just to, you know, get the rebuild started, took on some bad contracts, but ultimately, his first couple years as GM turned out pretty all right. you know, he got D'Lo, he got Karras, he got Spence, he got Jared Allen, I mean, the team... Operated pretty well under him. There were improvements made every year, you know, and they somehow managed to luck into signing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving after getting into the playoffs the year before. And that was really a fluke in and of itself, which I've spoken about before. That team should not have qualified for the playoffs, but yet here we are. And, you know, maybe he feels that he doesn't know how much time he has because coaches and GMs in particular. They they have pretty short leashes. You know, if you don't win, you're you're gonna be unemployed. You know, maybe Sean Marks thinks that this is, you know, the end of his tenure. I hope it's not. And I don't think it will be if this trade turns out successful, but you know, he's kind of like, fuck it. We have to take we have to take a risk. I mean, like th- there's really not much not much more I can say about it. The Nets seemingly felt like they had to take a risk. And I did not really, I don't really agree with their decision to do this this early. But I hope it works out. I think that ultimately it's going to come down to Harden, Kevin, Kyrie buying into themselves, buying into the team, and buying into a system that is going to benefit everybody. We know that when the end of the game comes, Kevin Durant is going to have the ball in his hands. Kyrie's going to have the ball in his hands. James Harden's going to have the ball in his hands. That could be an issue.
1: But, you know, winning cures a lot in sports. Any unrest, any tension,
0: it all goes away magically when the team is winning. Of course, the Nets are not going to be satisfied with regular season wins. They're going to want playoff wins. They're going to want championships. And if they win a championship this year, I will be Utterly surprised if they win a championship next year as well. I will be just as surprised. Like, because I just, I know it's an extreme knee jerk reaction, but just the given makeup of the Nets right now, I don't think that adding James Harden fixes them because their issues are all defensive. He's not a good defender. Their issues are offensively, they kind of don't know what the fuck's going on sometimes. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. And I'm not trying to repeat myself, but a lot of it just comes down to the uncertainty of how Kevin Durant is gonna fit into whatever system they want to run. I just hope that like there's a happy medium somewhere where all of these guys can remain happy. And Steve Nash, as a rookie head coach, this guy has an incredible job going forward. His job isn't to create the game plan, I don't think, but his job is to manage the egos of his star players. And he's going to be doing a lot of... um. I don't want to say he's going to be putting out a lot of fires, but he's going to be, you know, he's going to have to do a lot of motivating. And a lot of um, just kind of... he's. I feel like he's just got to be super optimistic about everything and just make sure that Kyrie, Kevin, and Harden are happy. And again, I don't know when Harden is going to debut for the Nets. I don't want to get it twisted. I am super excited to watch this team at full strength because at full strength, if this team is fully healthy and they have a legitimate game plan, this could be one of the most explosive teams the NBA has ever seen. When you look at the sheer talent that Kevin, Kyrie, and Harden share, we got multiple championships, However many decades worth of all NBA appearances, of all-star appearances, like, I think it's something like eight scoring titles, maybe not eight, maybe like six or seven scoring titles between Kevin and James. Like, it is a lot of talent. There is no shortness of talent, but talent alone does not win a championship, especially because the Nets are going to have to go up against the Bucs later on, might have to see the Sixers at some point. They get to the finals, probably going to have to go against the Lakers. The Lakers, I feel, have a more complete and a more talented team overall than the Nets do. Yes, the Nets will have three stars as opposed to two, but I think that the Lakers' supporting cast is significantly better than what the Nets are working with right now, especially if Spencer Dinwiddie is not healthy. I do want to add that the Nets have a couple of open spots available. It's actually three. They have the... They have two mid-level exceptions of some kind. I know one's a mid-level exception. The other is some, like, I think it's like the 5.7 million exception. They're also probably going to qualify for this, for the disabled player exception. Um, this is all coming from Bobby, Bobby Marks. So I'm just reading his tweet. Um, I don't know who they're going to bring in with those with those picks. Um, The free agent pool, especially for guys who are going to sign like that, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know, but the team is going to have to get better defensively. That is really the, that's really what I'm
1: looking at the most. Team has to get better defensively. I mean, I think that in terms of offense, obviously, they're
0: going to be fine as long as everybody buys in. But still, looking at guys like Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, he can hoop. TLC can go off sometimes, uh, albeit he's a little inconsistent. Reggie Perry, if he continues to play like how he did against the Knicks, he'll be he'll be a godsend, actually. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, once he gets healthy, Joe Harris, of course. Um, They just need to try to find a way to bring in like a defensive minded center. But I guess the um the TLDR version of all this is that I am extremely um apprehensive about this James Harden trade, but do not confuse that for a lack of excitement because. I am just, I may not show it because I'm trying to be as objective and as real as possible, but I, I think that what like actually just sitting down and watching this team is going to be a lot of fun because they are just trotting out so much talent. And we don't even know when Kyrie's coming back and that shit can change. That shit, it will change when he gets back. Um, I I'm not worried about like locker room stuff. That I, I think is going to be, very overblown. You have quote unquote reports of Kyrie being furious and, you know, distant from Durant. I say quote unquote reports because it's not really substantiated in any way. And by that, I mean no credible reporter. Well, I don't want to say credible reporter, but none of like, you know, Woj hasn't come out and said it. Shams hasn't come out and said it. Mark Stein, um, guys like that. Tim McMahon, you know, y'all know who I'm talking about. So until it's, corroborated by a more reliable source i think i think that's how i should say. i think that's the more diplomatic way of saying it a more reliable reporter um i won't believe it especially because you know mark spears was talking about how you know kyrie had or the nets got kyrie's blessing to bring in steve nash so i i just i don't see the point of talking about shit like that i think everything's going to be fine you know james kevin kyrie they're all friendly with one another. James and Kevin have been teammates in the past. Uh, James and Kyrie were teammates on a USA team a couple of years ago. I think the off-court stuff is going to be fine, although it is probably going to be like super blown out of proportion. For me, it's all about the on-court behavior. And I will not, <laughs> I will not really change my view until I actually see what's going on. So with that, I believe I'm going to bring this episode to close. Um, like it's I wasn't expecting to have to hop on the mic because I thought that it was going to be longer. But generally generally this is how NBA trades go down. You know, topic is brought up, it goes quiet for a while, and then it just it explodes and the trade is done. Like that's just that's just how it happens. That's GMs, they move in silence, you know? Especially when they're trying to facilitate something. And we all know that The Rockets wanted James Harden out as long as possible or as quickly as possible. It's just it was in their interest. And I know I didn't really talk about any of these other teams, but like the Rockets, they traded away all those picks to get Russell Westbrook and they got them all back. So I didn't even really talk about like
1: the long term ramifications of this. I mean, if the Rockets were able to get off Russell Westbrook and then get all of the picks back. It is possible. It is possible that if this doesn't work
0: out, the Nets, the Nets, it doesn't look as bad. It doesn't look this bad, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they still gave up a ton. Like if they don't win a championship, Nets fans are going to be asking for Sean Marks head. Like he's got, They're going to want this man out of Brooklyn so quick. And I feel it'll be like if even if they don't win a championship this year, even though Harden is under contract until like 2037, you know, KD's still got a couple of years, Kyrie's still got a couple of years, but now I'm actually done. I think I've said about everything that I could, everything that I wanted to say. And just overall talk about my apprehensions, my optimism. Um, as always, any way you could support the show is much appreciated, whether it's following it on your podcast provider following me or the show on social media. And if nothing else, if you are on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a rating and a review, I'd be very thankful for it. I think that's how the podcast algorithm works, but I really don't know. As always, um, thank you guys very much and I'll catch you in the next one.